working to explain that and, and make sure that the people of Corinth understood and the Christians in Corinth understood that there was going to be a resurrection, that there was going to be a transformation, um, that it will occur. And, um, and there was some doubt in that Christian community about that. Um, and they wondered, if, well, if, what about those who have already died? How is God going to take care of that? And, and what about those who, whose body uh, was burned? And maybe what about those who were eaten by lions? How is God going to do that? And so the Apostle Paul is trying to answer all of those questions. And one of the things that he did last night was make sure that they understood that this is definitely going to happen. Okay, and now what he's going to do in, in verses 50 through 58 is, is he um, insists that that transformation has to occur before the uh, before, well, before we can our bodies, if you will, can enter heaven because uh, and we'll see how he makes that argument here as we look at the text. Our text today is um, is first Corinthians chapter 15, 50 through 58. Uh, and in the New King James, uh, it's, it's titled Our Final Victory. Now, um, in the title that we've put on here, we've titled it The Final Victory. And, and the reason we've done that um, is because, you know, it's really not our victory. And we'll see that in, in the last verse. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. So it's really his victory given to us. So it's not really our final victory. It's his given to us through Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bible and you're able, stand as we read 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 58. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorrupted corruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So, when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and when this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you for the encouragement of your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Father, may, may we be convinced of the fact of the resurrection of followers of Christ. May we believe as much as we can believe, know as much as we can know, and then just have faith in your word of what we don't know and what we don't understand about the resurrection. Father, help us to be encouraged and help us to, um, to trust. And Father, help us to labor for you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We look at this first thing here. Now this I say, brethren, 
Now this I say, brethren, because he's gone through everything else he's going to, you know, about the resurrection. He's telling them that it is going to happen. There's still some of them kind of doubting that the resurrection is going to happen. We don't get it. We don't understand it. It's not something that, um, that their minds can comprehend. And so they, they needed some assurance. And he says, listen, it's going to happen, but here's why it's going to be different than what you think. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Um, flesh and blood will not, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. The perishable, uh, neither corruption, uh, inherit incorruption. We've got to take a, a look at that a little bit. The human body is made up of flesh and blood. It's physical, it's not spiritual. And, and so when he says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, why not? Well, quite simply because the kingdom of God is not made of flesh and blood. The kingdom of God, heaven, is not a fleshly uh, place as we know flesh and blood. And so flesh and blood cannot go to that realm, that place, heaven. So something has to happen. Something different has to happen. If you, if you look at all of this, you can see that, that um, we, our bodies, are temporal. In other words, temporary. Okay? Um, and, and honestly, we wouldn't even have thought of the idea of eternity if God hadn't put the idea in our hearts. And so our bodies are temporal, not eternal. Um, our bodies uh, uh, will, will see decay. They will see corruption. Um, our bodies are mortal, not immortal. Our bodies are sinful, not sinless. Our bodies are perishable, not imperishable. And because of all of those things, in order for our bodies for us to inherit the kingdom of God, something has to change. Our bodies cannot be perishable and also be eternal, can they? Because something that's perishable perishes, it goes away, it's gone. And if it's gone, guess what? It's not. It's not eternal. So the Apostle Paul starts with this stuff, and you, and you look at this, and it's just, it, it looks so simple. But it's something that they, um, that they kind of doubted. And they wondered about. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. So there you go. There you go. Guys, you were right. I mean, you think about this verse, and if that's where we stop, then all hope is lost. If there is not a resurrection, if there is not some kind of a transformation of our bodies, then guess what? After we die, it's all over. But aren't you glad that the Apostle Paul, aren't you glad that God didn't stop there? Because he says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, and it can be translated, listen to me. Open your ears, you know, pay attention. Behold, listen, I tell you a mystery. A mystery. You know what a mystery is when it's talked about in the Scripture? It's a revelation. It's something that we cannot understand with our own minds. Again, why cannot we, why cannot we, why can we not un understand something like that with our own minds? Because it's beyond us. It's just, I mean, we are finite. God is infinite. How many of you, seriously, um, don't raise your hand, um, how many of you can understand infinity? I can't. You hear about Voyager 1 and Voyager 2? Anybody read about those? Isn't that amazing? Uh, where are they? Past Saturn? Okay. And they're still sending signals. Were they launched in like 1977, something like that? The mid to late 70s? 
And it's crazy because Voyager 2 was launched before Voyager 1, but they're out in interstellar space. Now, I have a hard time just understanding space. I don't even know what the word interstellar means, okay? You know, I, I can spell it with a little help, but I don't even know what it means. But it's out there somewhere beyond all my imagination. I'm not like 59, I may be wrong about this, some billion miles away. And when NASA sends a signal to it, it takes two days for that signal to get to Voyager 2. And when Voyager 2 sends a signal back, it takes two days for it to come back here. It's been out there that far, that long. I cannot imagine that. I cannot even think about that. People, I don't even want to go to the moon, okay? I don't want to get up there. I can't, but, but to think about space going that far. And so our bodies and our minds are, are the same way. We are, uh, we can understand those things. They are a mystery because guess what? We are finite and God is infinite. And so a mystery is something that he, he reveals to us. He lets us know about it. We wouldn't even know about eternity if God didn't reveal it to us. Think about Ecclesiastes 3.11 and I'll just give you the part of the quote. Um, that God puts eternity in the hearts of men. Because you think about eternity and um, they couldn't have just thought that up. There's no way that Adam and Eve could have thought up eternity unless God had said something to them about eternity. And, and you think about it, you know, there they were in the Garden of Eden and uh, mosquitoes didn't bite, nothing like that. It was all perfect. It was all wonderful. And, and they were in the Garden of Eden. And you know what they didn't understand at that time? The idea of death. But then God said to them, you can eat everything in the garden except from the tree of the, of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from that one. You will surely die. And at that time, then they understood the idea that there's a way that you can live forever, but there's also a way that you can die. And so God put that in their hearts to understand and notice. But we wouldn't even have thought of eternity if it weren't for God putting it in our hearts. So this idea here of having um, a... A, a new body in heaven, this is a mystery. It's something that we don't understand that he has to reveal to us. The Apostle Paul goes on and says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. I love that picture. I love that picture. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to be changed. Okay, I'm, I mean, I love this life. I'm not, you know, I'm not suicidal. But, but there are things about me that I wish would change. And I know that those things are going to change. Okay, that sinfulness is going to turn into perfect sinlessness. Okay, at that time, all right, we shall not all sleep. Now, that word there, sleep, is, is the idea of dying, passing away. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Now, we look at this and we see the Apostle Paul writing this and some people go, oh, he thought they were going to be the last generation of Christians on the earth. And there's really no evidence of that. What he's talking about here is we, Christians, worldwide. He may have, although I doubt it, believed that Jesus was coming back in his lifetime or in the lifetime of some of those Christians. But it's not really pointing to that and saying that here in the text. What he's saying is some Christians will sleep. They'll be buried, they'll die, they'll be buried, but not all of them. There's going to be a time while Christians are still on this earth that Jesus Christ is going to return to get them. And when that happens, they will be changed. 
And I love this picture here. We shall not all sleep. Now notice this also in here before I move on. We shall not all sleep. We shall all be changed. There is a certain definiteness to this, okay? This is not a, uh, it's gonna, I think it's going to happen. It might happen, okay? This is, there's no, this is an absolute definite here. We shall be changed. Everybody who has trusted Christ, whether they are still awake, alive, or whether they have fallen asleep, they've passed away, when Jesus returns for us at the trump, at, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, guess what? We will all be changed. And he goes on, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. <laughs> I've watched this year some people who are pretty fast. And I've heard that, um, that one of the uh, two of the... Uh, runners for the Streeter High School are making it to state in the hundred. Is that right? Fast, you know. And and I'm telling you, I probably couldn't outrun those guys on my bicycle. Okay, fast, but they're not this fast. Okay, all right. Because this says in a moment, and that word there is the word atomos. It's the word from which we get our word atom. Have you ever tried to split an atom? No, but science scientists have, and it's pretty difficult. Okay. Now, this word here, talking about a moment, is talking about something that is indivisible. It cannot be cut. It is so small, this moment of time when we will all be changed, that it cannot be any smaller. And so when Jesus returns in that moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, we shall all be changed. It is so fast that, you know, faster than, well, then I can clap my hands. Faster than you can snap your fingers. Faster than anything except this. And we will all be changed. Now, <laughs> there's a point where I kind of wish that kind of transformation would take place here on this earth. I mean, I don't know about you, but I still struggle with sin. There are still things that call to my brain and to my mind and to my heart. And it's difficult to not give in to those sometimes. And I wish that that kind of transformation had taken place like that and none of those things were temptations in my life anymore. And so when this one happens, hallelujah, praise God, I wouldn't have to worry about that anymore. And neither will you. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. Get that again. This is not a trumpet might sound, okay? The trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. All of this is definite, will, will, will. Not might be, not may be, but will sound and will be changed. It's, there's no question to this. God said it. Guess what? That settles it, right? It'll be quick, sudden change. It's going to happen. There's no, um, no doubt about it. And when you look at this idea here um, at the last trumpet, you know when that's going to happen? That's going to happen when Jesus comes back. That's going to happen when he comes to get us. Is that Second First Thessalonians 4.16? For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. I love John 14. 
that's just one of my favorite. John 14. Jesus was um, talking to his disciples, and he said, he's, you know, he's going to let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Would make sense, right? Since he is God. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's going. He is gone. He is there preparing a place for us. And one day he will return. And when he does, the trumpet will sound. You can read about that trumpet being sounded in, um, in places like Isaiah 27, Joel 2, Zephaniah, and Zechaniah, Matthew 24, 31, 4, 1 Thessalonians 4, and in Revelation 8, 2. That's the trumpet that's sounding at the last day. The last day when he comes to get his, his bride. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Incorruptible. Why? Because the corruptible cannot inherit incorruption. So if we're going to ascend into heaven with him, guess what? We have to be raised incorruptible. You cannot ascend into heaven in this physical body. It can't happen. For this corruptible, again, here's a strong word, must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. This corruption must put on incorruption. Now that idea there, that picture of put on, you remember the put on and put off, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote about put off um, the evil deeds and put on the good deeds. I don't remember all the ones he said. It's the idea of changing your clothes. And if you're putting off incorruption and putting putting off corruption and putting on incorruption, then it's the idea of changing from one outfit to another, from one body to another, all right? And so, so when this corruptible has put on incorruption, notice that there's a wind there, and this mortal has put on immortality, then, at that time, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. You see, here's the thing. We... We are all going to die. We are all terminal, every one of us. Now, when I was 12, that didn't cross my mind. Honestly, it didn't cross my mind when I was 20, 25, 30, 35, 40. Um, but the matter of fact is that we are all terminal. We're all going to die because this flesh is mortal. This flesh is corruptible. As much as we don't like the idea, we understand the fact and the truth that, um, that our bodies are not as strong or as healthy as they used to be. I, I, I saw a meme today uh, shared by a friend of mine on Facebook, and it said, you know, getting out of bed is not the problem, it's getting off the floor after you roll out of bed. Um, and... Uh, you know, it's not so tough to get down on the floor. It's a little bit more difficult to get up off the floor. Yeah. And, and so uh, I think it said rolling out of bed is not the difficulty. It's getting off the floor after you roll out of bed. It doesn't matter. We get the picture. We understand. 
and, and God bless those of you who are still young and strong, okay? Uh, and you're going to experience this sometime because the flesh is corruptible, all right? And so when this corruptible has put on incorruption and when this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death is swallowed up. Then you don't have to worry about it anymore. You don't have to worry about your body, which is going to be in heaven, becoming incorrupt, becoming um, uh, decaying. You don't have to worry about that. It's going to be perfect. It's going to last forever. And you don't have to worry about it, about death anymore. So since it's going to last forever, guess what? No more death. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, he says, where is your sting? You know what? I look at this text and I'm trying to figure out what in the world is he saying here? Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? But I read it just a few minutes ago and I thought, the Apostle Paul is quoting this scripture, and I believe this is from uh, Hosea 13. I think he's quoting this scripture. And you know what he's doing? I think he's taunting death. I think that's what he's doing. He's taunting death. Oh, death, where is your sting? <laughs> oh, Hades, where is your victory? Because th there's no sting anymore to death, not if you've trusted Christ, not if you believe in the resurrection, not if you know that that your body is going to be raised, not if you know that Christ is coming back to get you, not if you know that at the last trumpet your body is going to be raised incorruptible. There is no sting to death. There is, Hades has no victory anymore. And I think when he says this, guess what? I think he's taunting death. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. The sting of death is sin. Um, and the strength of sin is the law. The law, you know, we would never know that we had, were doing anything against God if there wasn't a law. If he didn't tell them, don't eat from that tree, guess what? They would have never have known that that was wrong to do that, okay? And it would have never been wrong if they had, he hadn't told them. So the law shows us that we are sinners because we can't keep the law perfectly. But listen to this. I love this verse. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You notice that all of this stuff is showing us that something's going to have to happen, that the body is going to have to be changed, that it's going to have to be miraculously transformed, that it's going to have to go from corruptible to incorruptible, that it's going to have to go from mortal to immortal, that it's going to have to go from perishable to imperishable, that it's going to have to go from temporal to eternal. And that can't happen without some kind of a miracle. And God's going to do it in the twinkling of an eye in a moment, anatomos. And he says, but thanks be to God. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. You know why? It has to be God that gives us the victory because we can't make that happen. This mortal body, I can't make it become immortal. There are some people who want to and who would like to live forever in this body. I'm sorry, I don't. I know there's a better one coming. We can't make it happen. So thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. Ah, almost. Almost, amen. Because you notice what it says in that text. It doesn't just say through Jesus Christ. It says through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that's important. I believe that it's important that we understand that in order for us to get that victory, Jesus Christ has to be our Lord. He has to be the one to whom we bow 
He has to be the one uh, whom we obey. He has to be the one whom we worship. He has to be the one whom we follow. And that word Lord there is the idea of, of him being our boss and us being his slave. Doing whatever he calls us to do, whenever and however he calls us to do it. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, life's tough sometimes. And I wish it wasn't most of the time. I understand that, you know, I mean, they say what doesn't kill you only makes you stronger. And sometimes you just kind of think, well, God, I think I'm strong enough right now. You know, I've been through enough. Life's been tough enough. And there's a time where, where you know, maybe we need to get tougher. But for most of us, it's like, man, can I just have a break sometimes? Can we just have a slowdown? You know, you're exhausted from work. You're, you're just worn out. Maybe you're burnt out from everything that's going on. You look around you and see the, the crazy stuff that's going on in the world, and you think, God, just a little bit of a break. You know, um, Friday, I don't have to drive a school bus. School's out for summer. Not quite forever, but for summer. And you know what I'm going to do Friday morning? I'm going to get up at 5 o'clock and go for a run. But I'm not going to set an alarm because if I set an alarm, it'll wake my wife up. But I'm going to get up. I'm going to go for a run because I don't have to drive that school bus. And there's a part of me, and, 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 and just get this and understand, I'm not complaining about the job. I love driving the school bus. I love the kids. But there's a part of me that wishes I never had to worry about that ever again. I never had to get up at 4.30. I'm going to sleep in Friday. I'm going to get up at 5. I never had to get up at 4.30, 5 o'clock to go get ready to drive a school bus. I, there's a part of me that wishes that. And I'm sure there's things like that in your life that you wish. I wish I never had to do that again. I wish I could just have a little bit simpler life, you know? And yet, those difficult times help to make us stronger. I don't know where that came from, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. And if we're really allowing Him to be Lord, then even those difficult times don't matter to us. It may be tough, it may be difficult, but we're going to go through them knowing that, guess what? He is there and He's got it taken care of. And again, it's not our victory. We can't make that happen. We can't make that body change from mortal to immortal. Only Jesus Christ can do that. And the closing verse. Therefore, therefore, and what is that therefore? Always a good question to ask that question. seems a little bit simple, naive, but ask that question. What is this therefore? Therefore, in view of everything that he's just said, in view of all of the truths that he just said, that, that there will be a resurrection, that our bodies cannot inherit, uh, the, the, the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, that yet somehow we're going to make it. We're going to be raised incorruptible to be live forever in the presence of God. 
Therefore, in view of all of that, he says, my beloved brethren. Now, I want you to notice something here. Remember what he said in the first verse of this part? Now, this I say, brethren. So he's kind of, kind of going back to that by, re- by recalling that. But he's also adding the word beloved, okay? Now, this I say, my beloved brethren. Therefore, my beloved brethren. He wants them to know that he has great love for them. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, steadfast. Um, I, I, I don't know a good picture uh, to show you when I think of the idea of steadfast, but um, maybe, I don't know, maybe a football player trying to, to, to block for his quarterback so the quarterback can get off a good pass or a good handoff. Steadfast, not... not um, not allowing anybody to get past, not allowing anybody to, to push him around steadfast. It means to be firm, to be fixed, to be determined, to, be, to, to have strong purpose of mind and to be faithful. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be determined, fixed in what you're doing. And I look at this and the next one here, immovable. And immovable kind of means just unshaken and undisturbed. See, that's one of the problems that we had, that he had with the Corinthians. They were shaken. They were disturbed because somebody had been teaching them that there was not a resurrection or that the resurrection had already occurred and it wasn't going to happen again. And they were shaken. They were worried. And he says to them, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, be fixed in what you believe, fixed in how you live, determined, have a specific, I mean, purposed and faithful to Christ. And don't let any of this stuff shake your faith. Don't let any of it bother you. You know, um, uh, one, and I can't remember the exact verse, the exact text, but you know something about being um, uh, blown about by all winds of doctrine. Don't let that happen. You know, trust, be faithful. Know that there is a resurrection, and people who teach you something else that there isn't a resurrection, then just don't let that shake you. Know that this is the truth that there is a resurrection. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding, always. Um, so the word always, somebody define that for me. Okay, so um, always. Um, never not. All right? If it's always, there's not a time when it's not, right? I mean, I, it's pretty specific. Always. doesn't mean that sometimes you can abound in the work of the Lord and sometimes you shouldn't. Or sometimes you should abound in the work of the Lord and sometimes you can not. It says always abounding in the work of the Lord. And I, listen, I got to tell you, um, that verse frightens me. Because I'm not confident that I am always abounding in the work of the Lord. And yet there it is. He says, be steadfast. Be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. The word abounding means to overflow, okay? To have great abundance, to have, uh, see if I can read my handwriting, um, to exceed a fixed number of measure over and above a certain measure or number. Abundant, to turn out abundantly, to overflow. Always abounding, overflowing in the work of the Lord. And, and, And I look at that word work there, and that work is the idea of the business of the Lord. Always abounding, overflowing in the business of the Lord. And, and when I look at this, there's, there's two things we can see here in all of this text. One, when you're staying steadfast, when you're being immovable, you're not going to let any doctrine that is wrong move you from the truth. You're also not going to let any 
practice that is wrong move you from the truth. In other words, and if you want to take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that was a few, um, seems like it was years ago, doesn't it? Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, remember what Paul said? Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. So body and flesh will not, neither will they. So don't let anything that people teach you change your practice or change your doctrine. Always abounding, abounding in the work of the Lord, the business of the Lord. And the business of the Lord is is to live that way and to to live right practice and to teach right doctrine. But it's also, the way I see it, to tell others about Jesus Christ. I, I read a verse, do the work of an evangelist. What's the work of an evangelist? An evangelist is one who shouts the good news. It's like a herald. Can you imagine if people were standing out on the street corner? Hear ye, hear ye. Jesus loves you. Hear ye, hear ye. I mean, that's what a herald did. They stood out and shouted those kind of announcements, and that's kind of what the word evangelist means. I, I'm not saying that you should all go out on the street corner and shout that, okay? Um, uh, first of all, I, want you, I don't have to bail you out, all right? But there is a way where we can be heralded without standing out on the street corner yelling like that, okay? Where we can do the work of an evangelist, and I think that's kind of what this is talking about. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Anybody here ever been in labor? Okay, come on. I haven't and never will be because believe it or not, men can't get pregnant. That was not only a biological statement, it was also a political one. But I can labor. Anybody have a, ever have a hard labor job. I worked at UPS for almost five years, and it was the best place I ever hated working. It was tough. I mean, it was difficult. You're working, you're loading packages, and they're yelling at you, Curtis, get over here! And I'm going, I don't even know who he is. And the idea of labor here is to work to the point of exhaustion and fatigue, to the point of collapse. It also has the idea of and I sometimes felt this way, of being in trouble and getting a beating, all right? Um, I worked as a landscaper and irrigationist sometime uh, when I was in, in Texas. And one of the first jobs I did uh, was I was trying to break up this concrete block. It's about this big square. And I don't know how deep it was because we gave up. But that first day, and God love him, my brother-in-law was my supervisor that day, Rex Bell. I have to get his name in there, so if he watches this, he knows what's going on. And he gave me the 90-pound jackhammer, and I was like 120 pounds. This is hard labor, okay, to the point of exhaustion. Now, the other two or three people who were on his crew that day didn't show up the next day because they knew I wasn't running the jackhammer. So my point with all of this is when he calls us to do his work and to labor for him, it's not always easy. Sometimes it's tough. Would I love on Monday and Tuesday, every day of my life, to be able to get up, go for a nice gentle run, come back, get my shower, get a cup of coffee, wait for Kathy to fix me breakfast, and then come into work? Absolutely. Absolutely. I would love it. 
She fixes wonderful breakfasts. I make pretty good coffee. But that's not the way it happens sometimes. And sometimes, even being a pastor, and by the way, I love being a pastor and I love preaching, but sometimes even being a pastor is laborious. It's difficult. And sometimes you feel like you're in trouble and getting beaten up. And guess what? He says, always abounding in the work of the Lord. No matter how tough, no matter how difficult, because he doesn't call us to give up and he doesn't always call us to an easy life. And so, and by the way, sometimes as a pastor, I probably deserve to get beat up. But it's not always easy. And if it's not easy for the pastor, it's probably not always easy for you guys. Because as we said in Sunday school, um, <laughs> I get paid to be here. <laughs> and you guys don't. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that your labor, your difficult work, the trouble of the work that you have, the, the, the pain and the difficulty is not in vain in the Lord. And we can look at that being not in vain in several different ways. One of them, not in vain in the fact that, guess what, you've given yourself for that cause. Also not in vain because, guess what, people are going to watch the work that you do. They're going to know that you've trusted Christ. They're going to want to know what's going on in your life. And you're going to have an opportunity to share the love of Jesus Christ. I don't know how difficult your life is. Uh, sometimes I don't know how difficult mine is. But I know that life is sometimes tough. Life is sometimes difficult. And I do know that in the middle of all of that, God calls us still to remain faithful, to do the work that he calls us to do, to stay with it, to keep going, to never, never, never give up. I'm going to have a time of invitation here in just a few minutes. And I, again, I don't know your hearts. I don't know what's happening. I don't know how God might be speaking to you, but I'm going to be at the front. And if it's quite simply the fact that you've never trusted Christ, that you need to give your life to Him, then I'm going to be there ready to receive you and accept you and show you how you can give your life to Jesus Christ. If it's maybe that you've just almost given up, that things are too difficult, either in, in life, in work, or in serving Jesus, I'm going to be here to pray with you and to encourage you. So let's pray, and then we'll have our hymn of decision. Father, I thank you again for your love your forgiveness. Father, I thank you that even in the midst of all of that labor and difficulty and all of the tough times that we go through, Father, you are always with us. And that we don't have to rely on our strength and our ability. But God, we turn to you, we trust you, and you take care of it. Father, I pray for those here, that any here that have not trusted in Christ. God, that today will be the day that they turn to you and trust your Son, Jesus Christ, for their eternal salvation, knowing that there is a resurrection, knowing that there is an eternity to be spent with you. Father, I pray that if there's other decisions that people need to make, that today will be the day. In Jesus' name, amen.